BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and miniskirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. If Earth is our temporary home, in the sense that this material world is going to burn up in the end, then our work with this material world via the First Commission doesn't matter at all. All that matters is saving as many souls as possible, great commission, and getting us all the heck out of here, right? But God's word makes it abundantly clear that earth is our temporary home until Christ comes back and makes this earth our perfect and permanent home. Mm -hmm. Contrary to what the American end-time tabloids have told us on Facebook— God is not going to use fire to vaporize the earth like the Death Star in Star Wars, right? (laughs) If you're looking for a good pop culture analogy to explain this idea of a new earth, Mm -hmm. you'll find a much better one in the movie Moana. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Jordan, welcome to She. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Yes, so weird. I was just telling you off uh, off air that I uh, have never actually interviewed someone with the exact same name as me, so I'm like feel like I'm talking to myself when I welcome you on. <laughs> it's wild. The it's male so version wild. of Jordan Lee yeah, Julie. Let's yeah, go. It's so funny. Oh my gosh. Well, I am so looking forward to this topic of conversation. This this idea of the sacredness of secular work. But before we dive into it, can you share a little of your background and what led you to write this new book, The Sacredness of Secular Work? Yeah. So, hey, everyone, I'm the other Jordan. Jordan Rainer <laughs> living in Tampa, Florida uh, with my wife, Tara. We've got three young daughters, Ellison, who's nine, Kate, who's seven, and Emery, who we had the joy of adopting at birth mm-hmm. four years ago this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and professionally, I've spent the majority of my career as a tech entrepreneur. But in the last few years, I spent a lot of time creating content that helps Christians see the sacredness of their seemingly secular work, to see Mm -hmm. how their work matters for eternity. Mm -hmm. You know, Jordan, over and over and over again, when I tell somebody that their job as a teacher Mm -hmm. or an entrepreneur or a barista, quote-unquote, matters for eternity, Mm -hmm. by far the most typical response is, oh, amen, my job is my mission field, right? Mm -hmm. And that is 100% gloriously true. Mm -hmm. But... If the only way that our work matters for eternity is because we can use our jobs to, quote unquote, share the gospel, then Mm -hmm. frankly, most of us are wasting most of our time, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like how much time do we spend in a given month explicitly walking somebody through the Romans road? 15 minutes, an Mm -hmm. hour, Mm -hmm. right? That means less than 1% of our life matters for eternity. And I don't know about you, but like, 
that's deeply depressing, but more importantly, it's deeply unbiblical. So I want every Christian to see how every moment of their lives can matter for eternity. Every Zoom meeting they lead, every Uber they drive, every diaper they change. How is it in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, not in vain? So Mm. that's why I wrote The Sacredness of Secular Work, to help believers see how 100% of their time can matter in the grand scheme of eternity, even when they're not explicitly evangelizing. Yeah, I love that. It's so good because it's so true. You're right. Like I think we tend to think, oh, that's where I evangelize. And it's like, well, yeah, sure. That's where you can share the gospel. That's where you can have conversations. But if you're, if you're honest, like if you're actually also doing your job, you're probably not spending the entire time that you're working evangelizing because you have to do your job of. Could you be fired? Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So then it's, yeah, that's so good. I love the way that you broke that down. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about instrumental and intrinsic value. I know you talk about this. So what is the difference between instrumental and intrinsic value in our work? And why is it important to have both? Yeah. So your work has what I call instrumental value. Mm -hmm. When you leverage it to the instrumental end of carrying out the Great Commission and sharing the gospel with those you work with, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But again, those those very rare moments when you get the blessing of explicitly having a conversation about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Our work 100% has instrumental value, Mm -hmm. but it also has intrinsic value value. And the sad thing is there are many Christian leaders, many pastors implicitly and sometimes explicitly telling their congregations that their work only has instrumental value. And that's depressing because scripture makes it abundantly clear that in addition to our work having instrumental value, it also has intrinsic value to God. But I would argue that's really hard to see when for the very first time in church history, in the last couple hundred years, the Great Commission has functionally become the only commission that many leaders are calling Christians to. The Great Commission is great. It's a non-optional command for every single follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's just not the only thing he called us to do. And understanding that is the key to embracing both mm-hmm. instrumental and intrinsic value in your life and work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so like... I don't know. I don't know if you've ever had anyone say this, but it, oh yeah, obviously. Like when you when you break it down <laughs> like that, right? But then, like you said, it's like it's not always the message that we're getting, or we're not getting the full picture, Correct. and so we can get so hyper focused or hyper fixated on like this one way of thinking about it. And when you kind of open that way of like to open that up, it's kind of like oh yeah, like you know what I mean. It kind of like I don't know. Yeah. It just it seems obvious, but we just don't always see it. I don't know. I, I'm curious. Like, what has been? Christian's response to this message? Like, as you've shared this idea with people, are they like, oh, yeah? Or are they like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that? I'd be curious if it's more of like a, oh, yeah, or like a, I never thought of that. Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a really good question. The most frequent response is number one, this is the most life changing, free message I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And number two, of course, this makes sense. I've always known this in my bones, mm-hmm. but I didn't have the language to yeah. articulate how my work mattered beyond sharing the gospel. That's it's the aha moment of I knew this all the time, but yeah. finally somebody put language to it. Yeah, that's good. That's really interesting. Okay, so something else I wanted to ask about is how the church has really focused on the Great Commission. You mentioned how pastors really focus on this. So how is the church really only focused on that? And when did the Great Commission become the only commission of the Christian life? Like, when did that shift happen? Oh, man. Oh, this is good. Let's go. So this idea 
that the Great Commission is the only commission, I would argue, is maybe the most deeply entrenched lie in the church today. Mm. It has a lot of practical ramifications. What one popular Bible teacher says, quote, this side of heaven, the only investments with eternal significance are people. Another pastor, very, very influential pastor said, quote, the consequences of the Great Commission will last forever, but the consequences of your job will not end, quote. I could go on and on and mm-hmm. on, but I won't because our listeners are used to this message, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But what's fascinating about this message, it is it is brand spanking new mm-hmm. in church history. Mm-hmm. In my book, The Sacredness of Secular Work, I quote this group of theologians at the very conservative Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary who say this, listen to this quote. They say, quote, Before the 17th century, the Great Commission was largely ignored Hmm. when discussing the church's missional assignment, end quote. So how in the world did we get here, right? That's the right question, Jordan. And experts say that part of the reason, not the full reason, but part of it is the label that we've attached to Jesus's words in Matthew 28, Hmm. turning it from a command, a commission, Mm -hmm. to the singular great one. And what's mind-boggling is that term great commission isn't even a part of the original biblical manuscript. Jesus never said, hey, this is the great one. It's a man-made heading. It's a man-made heading. And that term, that label didn't even show up in popular print until the late 1800s when Hudson Taylor coined the term to recruit people to serve as missionaries in China, right? Mm. So the term itself, great commission, is not a part of the inerrant word of God. It's the catchiest marketing slogan of the modern missions movement. The command itself, totally different story, right? Mm-hmm. Hudson Taylor was right when he said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. So the Great mm-hmm. Commission is great. Mm-hmm. It's just not only, and there are terrific dangers in treating it as the only commission that Jesus gave us. Mm, that's interesting. I feel like so many people have never like even just dug into this title that's been that's been given because it is like yes, like making disciples and sharing the good news is such a crucial tenet of the Christian yes. life and it's not an option like you said. It's not like oh, it's yes. like less important because that isn't the actual title that Jesus gave yes. this command. But when you kind of like pull back, it makes sense because there are countless other commands that Jesus gave. Yes. And so if we like elevate that over the others, it's almost like we forget about the others. Is that kind of what you've seen? That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. And we hate we hate nuance, right? Like I'm lazy. Every mm-hmm. every one of us is lazy. We want binary black and white. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do the work of thinking out these things. But all throughout scripture, we see both and all mm-hmm. over the pages, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And this is a great example of that. And in the book, I get into this. Like, hey, it is the Great Commission, but we have a dual commission in this life. The Great Commission that we see in Matthew 28 And the first commission God gave us in Genesis 1 Mm -hmm. to fill the earth, subdue it, make it more useful for other human beings' benefit and enjoyment Mm -hmm. that we literally see from the first page of Scripture all the way to the end. And we can get into the details of that if you want, but at the Mm -hmm. highest level, that's what we see throughout God's Word. Okay, so let's talk about the command in in Genesis for a second, because I find this interesting. What would you say in terms of, like, how is this applicable to our secular work. Like if God said, yeah. you know, fill the earth, subdue it, let's, yeah. let's focus yeah. in on the word subdue, because I think that that yeah. is so relevant to this conversation. Yeah, this is good. It's a hundred percent relevant to this conversation because that word subdue literally means, so Wayne Grudem, who's the, uh, one of the editors of the ESV Bible defines mm-hmm. subdue this way. He says to subdue means to make the earth more useful for other human beings, benefit and enjoyment. And doesn't that sound 
exactly yeah. like what our listeners do every day yeah. as entrepreneurs yeah. and parents and accountants and mechanics. Mm-hmm. And contrary to popular belief, after the fall of Genesis 3, so let's not forget the first commission is handed down in Genesis 1 mm-hmm. prior to the fall. Mm-hmm. After the fall, God doesn't replace the first commission with the great commission as if God ever needed a plan B. Right. After the fall, God continues to reiterate the first commission in the context of blessing after mm-hmm. Noah gets off the ark. What does God tell him? Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Mm-hmm. And then thousands of years later, When the image of the invisible God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus spent the vast majority of his life not preaching, but making the world more useful for Mm. other human beings' benefit and enjoyment Mm. as a carpenter, right? I could go on and on and on, but the point is this. The first commission is the only commission that God never, ever retracts. And if that's true, then our work must have intrinsic value to God today, right? Mm -hmm. It's what he created us to do in the Garden of Eden. It's what Christ spent most of his life Mm -hmm. doing when he was on earth. And spoiler alert, when we look ahead to the new earth, it's what we're going to be doing for eternity. Heaven is not endless harps and and hammocks, right? It (laughs) is filling and subduing the earth with Christ and for his glory forever and ever. You know, I love that you brought up Jesus as a carpenter, because I think sometimes, yeah. like, yes, he was a teacher, but I think it's so fast. I've always found this, especially as like a creative and as an entrepreneur and someone who loves to like find, you know, new avenues to serve people to earn, you know, to, to earn, generate income, all of that. Yeah. Um, I think it's fascinating because it's like, yes, Jesus was on mission, but he was also in a trade. He was also in doing quote unquote secular work. And that secular work, I kind of wonder, like, obviously we can't go back and like look at his accounts, but I'd be really curious. And I know other people funded his missions too, but I'm like, that had to have funded some of his mission work, especially, you know what I mean? And some of the like, that that's like what sustained him as he was getting to know his disciples. And you know what I mean? I'm just like, I just am curious how that worked, you know? And even Paul being a tent maker, you know, like similarly, they still had, secular jobs, if you will. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. And I think it's because all throughout God's word, we see the goodness of this first commission, because let's not forget, God could have miraculously provided for Jesus. Jesus didn't have to work a trade, right? right? Right. But there is intrinsic value to simply making this world more useful for other human beings, Mm -hmm. benefit and enjoyment. And I think it's why we see the apostle Paul making disciples and making tents. Yeah. I think it's why we see Peter catching people, great commission, mm-hmm. and catching fish, first commission. Mm-hmm. I think it's why we see Jesus mending souls, great commission, and making tables, yeah. right? Like yeah. God, God could have chosen for Christ to grow up in anybody's home. He could have grown up in the home of a Pharisee, yeah. in the priest, but instead he grew up in the home of a small business owner named Joseph, yeah. where he spent most of his life simply leaning into the first commission with God and for him. Yeah, that's so good. It's so true. He could have been born into a really wealthy household and not needed anything provided to him. And or he could have been miraculously provided for. Like you said, like God could have just said, here's money that's showing up at your doorstep every day, you know? And you're, you're right. He had him in this small business owner's home and working a secular, but yes. at the same time, sacred job. Yeah. That's so good. I love that. I think that's such an important viewpoint to take when you're, when you're just under like exploring and, and, and seeking to understand the life of Jesus. We focus so much on yeah. his mission that we don't focus on some of these other components that are really 
powerful that we can learn from. Yeah. And, and Jordan, you and I have both been tossing around these terms sacred and secular mm-hmm. a lot already mm-hmm. in the conversation. Let's be real explicit by what yeah. we here, right? Yeah. That word secular literally means without God, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but you and I believe that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in every single believer wherever they go today. And so the only thing you, listener, need to do to instantly make your quote-unquote secular workplace sacred mm-hmm. is walk through the front door or log on to Zoom. That's it, mm-hmm. right? Charles Spurgeon once said, for the person who lives unto God, nothing is secular mm-hmm. and Everything is sacred, right? The more interesting question is, okay, how does this sacred work I'm doing today as a preschool teacher, as a barista, as a marketer? How does it matter beyond the present? Yes, it matters because it can glorify God and love my neighbor as myself. But beyond that, how does it last into God's eternal future? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to help readers see in this project. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. Okay, another question I have for you is specifically about the gospel message. I think when we think of that, we usually think of the abridged version. Can you share with us the difference between the abridged gospel and the unabridged gospel and what this actually teaches us about the purpose that we have in our work? Yeah, oh, absolutely. So the dominant version of Jesus' good news preached today is what I call the the abridged gospel. It's the good news Mm -hmm. that Jesus came to save you and me from our sins, Mm -hmm. right? Every word of that, is 100% gloriously true. But that is a terribly incomplete version of Jesus' good news, and it has tons of practical implications for our lives. Mm. Let me give you just one. If the gospel is only good news for our souls, Mm -hmm. as the abridged gospel suggests, then the Great Commission to save souls Mm -hmm. and make disciples is the singular mission of your life, and most of us are wasting most of our time. But that's not the good news we see throughout Scripture, right? Let, let me try to articulate the unabridged gospel, uh, way oversimplify it, but the unabridged gospel from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Here it is. Mm-hmm. God created a perfect world in the beginning mm-hmm. and invited you and I to be his children, to be with him and rule and subdue over this creation via the first commission that we see in Genesis 1, mm-hmm. right? We sin, fast forward to Genesis 3, ushering in the curse that broke every part of that perfect creation, Mm -hmm. ensuring our need for a savior. Fast forward a couple thousand years, Jesus' resurrection proved emphatically that he is that savior who saves us by grace through faith. Mm -hmm. And while you and I are not saved by our works, see Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, we have been saved for good works he prepared in advance for us to do all along. And what are those good works? What are the good works that Paul's talking about Ephesians 2.10? The very thing God created us to do in the beginning, partnering with him to cultivate heaven, not in the clouds, mm-hmm. but on earth until he returns to finish the job. Mm-hmm. If that's the gospel, right, this indescribably great news for our souls and the entire material world, then we can be confident in our dual vocation, right? Mm-hmm. The great and first commissions to implement Christ's authority over the spiritual and material world. Yeah. And if that's the mission of the Christian life, now I can start to see how 100% of my time right. has the potential of mattering for eternity. Yeah, yeah. I love the way you laid that out. I'm like, I have nothing to add. That's great. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's so true. And it's so important to just, I don't know. I don't know. I just to zoom out and see the bigger the bigger picture here in this unabridged version. I think we needed to talk about more and dig into more, like you said, because then it allows us allows us to see the purpose in everything, not just one specific thing, aka like evangelism. 
Have you been wanting to make the switch to cleaner living and clean beauty, but feeling really overwhelmed on where to start and how to sift through all the different options out there? Friend, I get it. I have been there. When I first started my clean living journey, I was so overwhelmed and I was having such a hard time in one area in particular. I was having a really hard time finding beauty products that were clean, safe, toxin-free, but also really worked because the tricky part was I wanted to use clean products, but every time I would try clean makeup or clean shampoo or clean skincare, it just seemed like they didn't work as well as my old toxic favorites. And I found myself always wanting to go back to the more conventional stuff because it actually worked. My makeup stayed all day. My skincare was working well. So I was having a really hard time in this area until I discovered Crunchy. Crunchy is a high-performing, clean beauty brand that honestly performs just as well, if not better, than my old toxic favorites. Not only that, but they are eco-friendly, they're plastic positive, which means they take more plastic out of the environment than they put in, and they're also Leaping Bunny certified and cruelty-free as well as vegan. So if you've been looking for a clean option for makeup and skincare, for clean beauty, but you just need something that works well and that doesn't harm the environment and that doesn't harm animals... Crunchy is the place to be. I highly recommend starting with the primer and foundation when it comes to makeup or the cleansing bar and the Clarolite when it comes to the skincare. And if you use my link, you can get $10 off your first order. So just go to crunchy.com slash Jordan Dooley and the $10 off will apply on the last page of checkout to your first order. Or you can just tap the link in the show notes on this episode to shop with that link and get the $10 off applied to your first order. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like, these are incredible. (laughs) 
Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for- one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients, and it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. That's exactly right. And listen, it it allows us to see purpose in our work, but I would also go a step further and, and say that it also helps us better appreciate the power of Christ's redemption. Mm. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say this, Jordan, but I've heard a lot of pastors say, the only two things that last for eternity are God's word and people, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. That is to accuse Jesus of a partial victory at Calvary. Because in Genesis 1, God called every part of his creation very good. Mm the spiritual and the material world, Mm -hmm. right? Genesis 3, Satan broke every part of that good creation. Mm -hmm. And so if redemption does not go as far as the curse of sin, then God has failed because God promised he was going to send a redeemer to make all things new. We're about to sing this at Christmas time, that he has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, right? And so to say that, oh, the only two things that last for eternity are spiritual things, Mm -hmm. God's word and people, is to accuse Jesus of being a partial loser rather than the Lord. But Mm -hmm. he's not the loser Satan is, Mm -hmm. because Jesus' death and resurrection won back everything that was broken in the garden. Mm -hmm. Every square inch of God's creation is his under Jesus' lordship, right? Mm -hmm. So when we get this, that this unabridged gospel is good news for the spiritual and material world. Number one, it elevates Jesus to his rightful place as king over all mm-hmm. and not just the spiritual realm. And two, it gives great meaning to the work that you and I do with the material world, typing on aluminum back MacBooks and planting gardens in our backyards with our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. I love that. Okay, I have another question that just piggybacks right off of what you were saying. Yeah. So we touched on this already, you know, this idea that in a lot of Christian circles, all that really matters is people and the word of God. And in order to live out your mission, you know, as a Christian, you either need to be a missionary or work at a church or maybe own a business, but it needs to be a Christian business, which I want to get your take on. Whatever that means. Um, Right. But, you know, then I think in the same breath, the subtle feeling of, you know, there's this subtle lie that's if you work in a secular job, then you will find purpose in your job and you share the gospel with others. Okay, so let's touch on this idea of like needing to label our jobs or our businesses as 
missions or as, cause it is a mission field, but like, as like yeah, yeah. needing to do that formally or like making it a Christian business, like does everyone need to own Chick-fil-A yeah. or a version of Chick-fil-A <laughs> to be a Christian in, in the business world? I want your take on that. Oh man, this is such a good question. No, right. You know, it's interesting that the word, the word spiritual doesn't appear in the old Testament. Right, because mm-hmm. all of life is spiritual, right? But we, but we, we have these divides. So my, my business is either a business or it is a uh-huh. Christian business. Yeah, businesses don't have souls. Yeah, right. The Christians who make up those businesses have right. souls, right? right? So if you are a Christian and dwelt with the Holy Spirit wherever mm-hmm. you work, even if it's at Amazon or Google or your local pet store where the CEO is not a Christian, mm-hmm. that I guess now is a quote-unquote Christian business because there's a Christian working in it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And just as an encouragement to our listeners, we're, we've talked about a lot of scripture, but one simple verse I think about all the time is Psalm 37, 23, where it says that the Lord directs the steps of the godly. Mm. And he delights in every detail of their lives. What does that mean? He doesn't just delight in those doing quote-unquote spiritual work or working in a quote-unquote Christian business. Mm -hmm. Everything you do at work tomorrow, wherever it is, in a God-honoring way, for his glory rather than your own, in accordance with his commands rather than your agenda, is an ingredient to God's eternal pleasure mm-hmm. it is worship in the most literal sense of that word mm. wow that's so powerful to think about yeah i, I was talking with johnny erickson tata when mm. i was writing this i book. love her yeah i love her so much mm-hmm. and she gave me this language she's like i want to contribute as much as i can to god's eternal pleasure not because he needs it god right. doesn't need anything from us yep. but because this is the essence of of worship right mm-hmm. people go to church and they hear their pastor saying all of life is worship or your mm-hmm. Monday through Friday is worship. What the heck does that even mean? That doesn't yeah. make any sense to me, right? Yeah. Rick, Rick Warren is the best definition I've ever heard of worship. He says to worship is simply to bring God pleasure. Yeah. And Psalm 37, 23 yeah. says every detail of my life has mm-hmm. the potential to bring God pleasure, mm-hmm. not just sharing the gospel or writing a check to my church, but everything done with mm-hmm. excellence and love mm-hmm. in accordance with God's commands in the words of Johnny Erickson Tata, yeah. contributes to God's eternal delight. Yeah, that's so good. Have you ever heard, I don't know who said it, I, someone shared this with me one time, and it was a really important viewpoint, because I think even those in mission, like who work in ministry can get really caught yeah. up in working for God and doing things for 100%. God. And then it can almost be this like, I don't even know if the right word is. I mean, I know I've struggled with this before. If I've done you know any kind of like formal ministry work or anything, and then something goes sideways in my life. I'm like, God, I've been doing all this stuff for you. Like, why are you punishing me or whatever? And I heard somebody say once, like, we don't work for God. We get to work because of God. Like, yes, we work for his pleasure. So I love that way of thinking about it. Um, But this, it's not out of like an obligatory heart, I guess is what I'm sharing. It's more, it's almost like in response to not only his commands, but also in response to who he is, to his character, to his mercy, to his justice. Like it, it's like everything that we do can be either, oh, I have to share the gospel and I have to do this thing and it's like really right. robotic, or it's this like overflow from a place yes. of, from like a humble heart and a place of gratitude and a place of love. And then worship becomes really easy, especially in the definition that, or very natural, you know, and especially the definition that you gave about yeah. doing all things for the pleasure of God. Yeah. It suddenly just becomes like second nature a little bit, you know, versus this like, I have to check the box off and do these Christian things and therefore it's a Christian job or whatever, you know, it's like, we just, it just becomes so much more organic and human and relational when you kind of shift your mindset from, 
oh, I have to do all these things for God. I have to volunteer at the church and I have to be in ministry and I have to label my business as Christian, whatever that means. No, because you're not working for God. Like you mentioned, God doesn't need you to do anything. He can accomplish his mission by snapping his fingers, but he's choosing to include us in his work and his work of making all things new. And that includes evangelism, but it extends so much further than that. And I don't know. I think that that's just such an important thing to remember when you stop this, when you take off this, I have to do X, Y, Z for God and almost take it from a place of freedom. I get to, I get to do these things because of God. There's just such a huge heart posture shift that happens there. That you, you absolutely nailed it. Right. Uh, here, here's the deal, right? We got to remember this. God does not need anybody. Mm -hmm. God does not need you. He doesn't need me. He wants you and he wants you and me. I think this is part of the reason why God gave us the first commission in the first place. Think about it. God created the sun, moon, and stars, earth, sea in six days, Mm -hmm. right? Clearly, he did not need us to contribute anything to creation. And yet he invited you and I to participate in that. Why else, other than the fact that he's our father and fathers take great delight in being with and working with their children. He doesn't need you. He wants you. I was reminded this the other day, my my daughter, Ellison, asked if she could help me grind some coffee beans. Uh, Now, Jordan, you and I don't know each other super well, but like I put the type, I put the A in type A, right? Mm -hmm. Like I hate messes. I hate inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if I asked my nine-year-old to help me grind coffee beans, Mm -hmm. the project was going to take a lot longer. Mm -hmm. It's going to leave a much bigger mess than if I ground the coffee beans on my own. Mm -hmm. But I invited her to help me anyway. Why? Not because I need her, but because she's my daughter Mm -hmm. and simply being with her brings me far more joy than a clean counter. Top, mm-hmm. right? And I think the same is true with our Heavenly Father. And I talk about in the book that one of the ways we bring pleasure to God is not just doing our work for Him as good as that is, but remembering that He doesn't need us to do anything, remembering to do our work with Him mm-hmm. day in, day out, speaking in throughout the day, being reminded of His presence and inviting Him in to every nook and cranny of our day-to-day lives. Yeah. So good. Yes, yes, yes to all of this. Okay, one more question for you. You ready? Yeah. All right. So Let's do it. there is this, you know, saying that earth is our temporary home. I hear this a lot in Christian circles. How yeah. does this mindset or, or phrase maybe affect how we view our work and and maybe even view ourselves and, and God in that relationship? Yeah. Oh, man. It's, it's so relevant. First off, I got to pay my respects to the great Carrie Underwood, who really put this, uh, this <laughs> so true. in the in the mainstream. Uh, the Earth is our temporary home. I really disagree with Carrie, but I love her. Voted for her over Bo Bice and everything. All right. Here's the deal. <laughs> if Earth is our temporary home, in the sense that this material world is going to burn up in the end, then our work with this material world via the First Commission doesn't matter at all. All that matters is saving as many souls as possible, great commission, and getting us all the heck out of here, right? But God's word makes it abundantly clear that earth is our temporary home until Christ comes back and makes this earth our perfect and permanent home. Mm -hmm. Contrary to what the American end-time tabloids have told us on Facebook, God is not going to use fire to vaporize the earth like the Death Star in Star Wars, right? (laughs) If you're looking for a good pop culture analogy to explain this idea of a new earth, Mm -hmm. you'll find a much better one in the movie Moana. Now, Mm -hmm. Jordan, your kids are a little too young for Moana, right? Mm -hmm. Have you seen the film? I have, I believe. It's been years, but I do believe. I don't remember why I saw it, but I did. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. So for our listeners who haven't seen it, here's the gist, right? One, one of the main characters in Moana is this beautiful personified island named Tefiti, who's covered with lush green grass and these towering trees and the most vibrantly colored flowers you could possibly imagine. Probably a pretty good picture of what Earth looked like prior to Genesis 3, right? Mm-hmm. But then The Rock comes along as Maui and steals Tefiti's heart, right? Her beauty crumbles, her once gorgeous exterior is covered with lava rock, and Tefiti turns into this monstrous version of her former self. And her appearance is so radically different that everybody mistakes her for an entirely different island. But the movie doesn't end with Tefiti being destroyed. It ends with her being renewed. Moana, at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, restores the heart of Tefiti and the island's hardened exterior begins to break. And the original Tefiti, beautiful, lush, and colorful, emerges from the ash. And the contrast is so stark that this appears to be a brand new island, but it's not. It's the original Tefiti, but better, not a new island, but one that is like new. And the more I've studied what scripture says is going to happen to earth, that is by far the best picture I've seen of what is going to happen here. It's only half true that earth is our temporary home. The whole truth is that God is going to use fire not to obliterate the earth, but to purify it and make it our perfect Mm. eternal home. And here's why this matters. Again, if the earth is going to be obliterated, nothing we do today with the material world matters in the grand scheme of eternity. Mm -hmm. But because God's plan for the earth is redemption rather than destruction, Mm -hmm. then we can be confident that our work with this material world that Jesus' blood paid the price for matters to God and matters Mm -hmm. for eternity. I love the way that you just said it's redemption, not destruction. Yes. Like I think so many Christians have never like they think that redemption requires complete destruction, but it's like, mm. are we not already in a lot of destruction? You know, like if you actually yes. like the way that you broke that down, even with Moana and that storyline, yeah, I I just feel like that's kind of a, a viewpoint that we're not exploring or like even not even a viewpoint, a a truth that is often just decided like okay yep god's gonna come and like obliterate the earth it's like wait is let's go back to scripture though like is that actually what it says and and where are we getting these ideas and just asking questions to things that maybe we've just kind of been so used to hearing like whether it's yes earth is our temporary home and it's going to be obliterated or you know focus so much on this great commission that we kind of forget about the rest of life you know that you just are like you are going to have mundane experiences in life you are going to do work that can feel like it's not accomplishing anything for eternity and when you like zoom out and you look at what scripture actually says, the way Jesus lived his life, there's so much more there and it's so much richer. And I think it enhances and, and really like brings a lot of light and hope and joy and purpose to all of life, not just, oh, I sat down with someone and had coffee and shared the gospel with them. And therefore my purpose work is done for the year, you know, or whatever. It just takes it from 1%. Like you said, I think you mentioned this in the beginning, like it takes yeah. it from one or 2% of your life feeling like it has eternal purpose to all of it. Yes. And when that happens, you become fully alive. So here's the the great irony, right? By For the first time in church history, by making the Great Commission the only commission Christians feel called to, we're ironically becoming less effective at the Great Commission. Why? Because because when you work as a barista and only see how 1% of your life matters for eternity, you go to church on Sunday and feel like a second-class Christian compared to your pastor or the quote-unquote full-time missionary on the stage. And that leads you to be a half-hearted creature when you go back to your coffee shop on Monday. But guess what? You, You know who attracts the lost? 
Fully alive people mm-hmm. attract the lost like honey attracts bees, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when you can understand that God can delight in every detail of your life, 100% of it, not 1% of it. You become fully alive as you embrace the first commission, and ironically, you get even more chances to be effective yeah. at the Great Commission yes. as you're going about that first commission. That's so good. I love this. This has been such an enriching conversation and enlightening too. Like I just think we need to hear this and we need to talk about it. And I'm so thankful that you've written a book on it, that you're sharing resources on it. It's truly so, so good and so important. So thank you for all that you've shared. I feel like we could talk a lot longer, but I would love just if you can just point us in the right direction for those who are like, oh my gosh, this is what I need to hear, or this is what my mom or my brother or somebody I love needs to hear because they're really struggling in their work or whatever. Where can they find you? Where can we learn more? And where can we get this amazing book? Yeah. So lots of free resources for you at jordanrainer.com, J-O-R-D-A-N, spelled just like the Jordan Lee Dooley, uh, <laughs> jordanreiner.com. Lots of free resources there. And then the book is called The Sacredness of Secular Work. Uh, so you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. But again, if you can't remember that crazy long title, head over to jordanreiner.com and you will find the book there. Awesome. I love it. Jordan, thanks for being here and thanks for everything you've shared. It's so good. Thanks for having me, Jordan. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.